0: X Factor
1: This week, Henry the Sixth, with your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello, hello. <clears throat> Tickly cough. Ah, oh,
0: tickle, tickle. Mm. Uh, welcome to Rack Sector. We're all the kings and queens of England, from Alfred the Great to Elizabeth the II. Uh, where are we now? We have Well, we've just done uh, Henry V, who was a very, very successful king. He was brilliant. Big wins against France, Battle of Agincourt, etc., and died at the peak of his powers, just about to become mm. king of France. But he does die uh, before that, and he leaves perhaps a difficult succession, because he's got a very young son, as we still see, and his young son... It's Henry Sixth. Henry Sixth. Now, again,
1: this doesn't really conjure up much imagery for me, Henry Sixth.
0: It doesn't, but if I were to say Wars of the Roses, and this is when it actually happens... I'm with you. Now you're I'm with, with you. me. Just to say, before we go on to Henry VI, uh, we've had a comment. Whee! From uh, Georgie Lee, left a comment on the uh, Henry V podcast, and she said, My husband and I are really enjoying the podcast, I love British history, and this is a fun way to learn more. Boom. That's yeah. the point. That's exactly. good. So, Cheers, to Georgie. Yeah, thank you very much. And um, if you, like Georgie, want to send us your thoughts, you can leave a comment on the website, email us, rexfactorpodcast.hotmail.com, find us on Twitter, at rexfactorpod, or uh, leave a message on the, Facebook page. on the Facebook page.
1: And now, the Facebook page, I've started to do little polls. So if you disagree with us, what we're going to do is have a, uh, each week... Do you agree with our Rex Factor or not, depending on where this one goes?
0: And I've never mentioned this in the podcast, but you might have seen on the website that we do a Who's Who each week for each episode, so if you struggle to keep uh, track of who's doing what to whom throughout and you're not sure who all the names are, check that out, that's there as well on the website.
1: Okay, let's so, go. Yeah,
0: Henry the Sixth. Um, Born in 1421, son of Henry V and Catherine of Valois, uh, becomes king in 1422. So he's about eight months old, youngest ever king of England. Now, as you've seen before, it's difficult enough in minorities, but he is literally a baby. Yeah,
1: he is. That's unfortunate.
0: And he's the 14th great-granduncle of Elizabeth II. Mm. In terms of his appearance, obviously, initially, he's a baby. But once he gets to his sort of adult peak, he's about five foot nine. quite a strong physique. Oh, sorry, uh, I was just
1: thinking of a five foot nine baby. <laughs> yeah, he's a massive baby.
0: Sort uh, of not unattractive, but he doesn't have the battle scars or the steely eyes of his father, mm-hmm. Henry V. Initially, as he's a baby, we have a minority, whereby the nobles and the councils um, rule in his stead. Henry V's will appointed his two surviving brothers... Oh, because be he was really regent. tight with his brothers, wasn't he? Yeah, good yeah. relationship with the brothers. So, um, Duke of Bedford is sort of regent in France and mm-hmm. the protector of those um, realms over there. And Humphrey, Duke of Gloucester, is meant to be regent in England.
1: Yeah.
0: So, Bedford is a highly respected soldier and statesman and he sought to continue Henry V's campaign to secure the French crown. Because Henry V had been named heir, so Henry VI now yeah. should be seen, not only as heir, but because the ki- French king has died. Henry VI should be king of France as well.
1: So he's just, uh, yeah. So he's promoting that, and then he's a warrior chap in France. Yes, just where he's going to kick so off. So he's
0: pushing on. He has some early victories as well. Fourteen twenty-three to twenty-five, he wins Maine and Anjou mm. to English territory. So he's doing well. Gloucester, who is the protector of the realm in England, he doesn't actually get to be properly regent because there's a regency council which won't let him be regent. They don't like the idea of having one man ruling in effect.
1: Oh, that's fair enough, isn't
0: it? Indeed. And also there are some uh, personality issues, as we shall see, right. with some of the leading people. But he's very popular with the public, because he's quite affable to all classes, so he's a
1: good, good, a well-liked
0: man. Um, despite the tensions, it's fair to say that overall, the mono- minority in England comes through pretty successfully. There are no major rebellions or conflicts, they come through it quite pretty well.
1: Okay, good. a
0: decent view. However, in France, things don't go quite so well. Okay, Fourteen twenty eight, um, English forces are besieging Orleans or Orleans, never quite sure how to pronounce it, the French or the American. Yeah. Um, and this is pretty much the last stronghold of the rival to the French throne, which is the Dauphin, who wants to be Charles the Seventh of France. Yeah. At this point, if that falls pretty much all over for France, they're on their last knees. This is really crucial. England, absolutely on top.
1: So, it, so with the death of Henry V, it didn't just all fall to pieces? Oh, no, they've oh, had a good okay. few years and oh, they're okay.
0: really on top. At this point, a young peasant girl has visions of saints telling her that she needs to lead the French army to victory uh... against the English and restore the Dauphin, Charles VII, to the throne. She is, of course, Joan of Arc i see yeah sounds okay. like a film script but it's really all true it isn't it in it well it is a <laughs> film script but it is also true oh and um she persuaded um louis uh charles Seventh to let her go off to the army and the situation was so dire that he thought what the hell try the <laughs> yeah. girl and they have roaring successes so um she leads them to victory relieves the siege at orleans then, across the whole of the Loire region in France, just inspires them to victory after victory, pushing the English back.
1: Crikey. Any secret to her success, or was it all uh, divine, was it?
0: Well, maybe it was all divine, who's to say? But okay. she's certainly very inspiring and very brave. Um, however, she does get captured by the Burgundians, who were the, yeah, the French half who were yeah. in league with the English yeah. against the, the Dauphin. Um, they sell her to the English, and uh, she is burned as a heretic by the English. That seems
1: a bit tenuous. Bernard's an enemy.
0: Well, because well, we'll look at it in a bit more detail later, right. but she claims that she is...
1: Oh, because of a divine business. It is God yeah, who yeah. is
0: giving her the power. Anyway, despite this, the tide has turned against England towards France. Damn. Bedford, realising this, tries to uh, turn the tide back again. So Charles the Seventh had been crowned king of France by that half of France. So he decides we need to get Henry Sixth crowned. So 1429, Henry is crowned King of England, and then 1431 comes over to Paris and is crowned King of France. So he is now officially King of England and King of France. So was
1: the other fellow crowned?
0: Well, he's crowned um, elsewhere in In France. In one of the power bases. Yeah, in the French power base. So you have two rival kings. Okay. But nevertheless, this is the first and only time that we have an English king, who is, or anybody, who's King of England and France simultaneously.
1: Ah, another Rex fact from Gene. That's it's all good. pretty
0: good. So, Henry
1: the VI, King of France and England.
0: But not very much French interest in all of this, and Henry sent back again quite soon afterwards for fears of French unrest. Mm. Uh, 1435, Duke of Bedford, the regent in France for England, he dies, and um, as if that's not bad enough, the Duke of Burgundy makes peace with Charles VII, abandons England as allies. And by 1436, Paris falls to the French. Well, he goes over to the French side. He goes back. He sees that the tide has turned and they make amends.
1: So he's just fallen in league with them?
0: Fallen in league That's with them. That's unbelievable. Indeed, apparently Henry VI was said to have uh, burst out in tears when he heard the news.
1: I mean, they just happened to be feeding time.
0: <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> um, so after that, we see um, a rivalry in the English court between those who want to continue the fight against France and those who think, actually, game's up. Let's get peace and Mm. make an exit. Mm. Henry comes to his majority in 1437. As we say, France pretty much lost. Uh, But despite being of age, he doesn't have much interest in actually governing the country. So like many before, certain nobles come to dominate because he favours them, or rather they Mm, hold an influence over him. So we have the court split between those who want to pursue the war, which is mainly the Duke of Gloucester, who wants to pursue the memory of his brother Henry V, and those pursuing peace. Chief among them are um, Cardinal Beaufort, who is sort of one of the Lancastrians from the John of Gaunt's illegitimate marriage. Yeah, that's right. And also the Duke of Suffolk. So these are the two major nobles at court, and they are in rivalry with Gloucester. Henry VI, very easily influenced, and he relies upon the Beauforts and Suffolk. So Gloucester starts to complain that he and other major nobles are being sidelined, not allowed to actually exert any influence over the decisions. Suffolk arranges a peace treaty with France. Um, he arranges a marriage between Henry VI and Margaret of Anjou.
1: These Angevins are all over the place, aren't they?
0: They really are, indeed. Mm. Margaret comes over and she helps to persuade Henry to agree to a full peace deal in which, um, in 1447, Maine, this major piece of territory in France, which England have got a hold of, will be given back to the French.
1: Why are we giving stuff back? Just, to, just
0: for peace, just basically to stop everything else falling. Okay. However, this is all done in secret, so then there's public outcry when the treaty becomes knowledge and there's real fears of unrest. So when Parliament is called, Gloucester comes along, but he gets arrested and uh, on trumped-up charges of planning an uprising, taking advantage of all this.
1: Because he wants to carry on fighting.
0: He wants to carry on fighting and Beaufort and Suffolk They've see him as him a threat. threat. Yeah. And then he dies in custody.
1: Dies or dies? Well,
0: probably just dies. um, Thought maybe a stroke or a heart attack. But there are rumours. Yeah, of of course course. there are. Come on. Chief amongst these, of course, is that Suffolk, the main protagonist of um, the peace guys... Poker up the bar? Well, maybe. Again, no markings on the body. Mm -hmm. So he needs to try and regain his reputation. So what he decides to do is do a complete vault fuss and uh, invade Brittany. Who are in league with uh, Charles the Seventh? Unfortunately, this doesn't go very well at all. Gives Charles the Seventh uh, a reason to start attacking again, and he gradually wins and wins and wins and recaptures Normandy by 1450. Blimey!
1: So, so he's just got rid of all the good work he did doing the peace treaty. He gave him an excuse to yep, <laughs> to
0: and then loses to and Normandy. Then
1: lose that's unbelievable. This, these two these two brothers of Henry V are hopeless.
0: Oh, no, no, Gloucester is the one who was opposing it, oh, and he's right, dead, sorry. and Bedford yeah. has died as well. Okay. So Suffolk wasn't one of the brothers, okay. he's just a major noble. But Parliament's not very happy with him, no, Suffolk, when he comes not. back, so he gets impeached in 1450. Probably would have been executed as a traitor so bad were his failures, but Henry VI, because he liked him, saves him from this and banishes him instead. However, when he's trying to go into exile to France, um, he's captured in the Channel by uh, another ship. and Because uh, they don't like him, they're unhappy about all this damage that's been done, and he's uh, executed on the spot. By just randoms? By just randoms. English randoms.
1: Why would he go on to exile in France? I'd have chosen anywhere else apart from the place I just invaded.
0: Well, true, but on the other hand, it's probably the only place he's realistically going to be able to manage. Um, a Kentish mob is blamed for this. Yeah. And uh, in response... A chap called Jack Cade from Kent leads a rebellion, where they go off with thousands of people into London, which came known as Cade's Rebellion. It's probably the biggest uprising since the Peasants' Revolt. It's
1: from Essex and Kent as well. It's from Essex
0: and Kent indeed.
1: I've been the Kentish people. They
0: well, they're a bit of rebels, aren't they? They were demanding the punishment of all of Suffolk's allies, and also complaining at the false counsel of Henry the which had ruined the country. Um, quite dangerous, but unfortunately, looting and murders across the city at their hands led to them losing the support of Londoners and ultimately they were defeated in a skirmish on London Bridge. Nevertheless, this shows that there is really serious unrest in the kingdom at the moment and Henry VI's authority is really getting quite tenuous. Not much central authority, so we've got lots of local disturbances all across the country. In particular, there are two major northern dynasties, uh, the Neville family and the Percy family, who are almost at war with each other. Right. Everything's looking very, very bad. At this point, a new person arrives on the scene, ready to take control, and he is Richard, Duke of York. Oh uh, yes. Now, if you remember last yeah. time from Family Fortunes, Richard, Duke of York, inherited just swathes and swathes of lands and titles from all the various sort of royal strands.
1: Yeah, he had everything.
0: So he's descended from two of the children of Edward III. One of them being, uh, yes, of Edward III, One of them who was the Duke of York, which was the fourth son and also from the second son. Yeah. So he's got a very strong claim to the throne. In mm. fact, until Henry VI had a child, he's pretty much should be seen as the heir to the throne. Mm. Very, very important. But he had been pretty much kept out of the loop, like a uh, goster. He was seen as a threat, basically, so powerful, that uh, they tried to keep him away from court. So he's made Lord Lieutenant of France in the 1440s, just to keep him busy fighting over there. Then in 1447, he's appointed Lord Lieutenant of Ireland for a period of ten years. Quirky, that's so they're really trying weird. to keep him out of there. And chief uh, culprit in doing this is a chap called, uh, well, it's the Duke of Somerset. And these are the Beaufort family again. Yeah. So related John to Henry of, VI. John of Gaunt. What? John of Gaunt's yeah. descendants. And they are fellow Lancastrians with Henry VI. So we're now starting to see this division between the Lancastrians uh, yeah, and York, the Yorkists. Yeah. Somerset basically becomes Henry's new favourite after Suffolk, so he doesn't learn any lessons. One guy <laughs> goes out, the new one comes in. Um, and uh, he was sent to northern France in the 1440s, but he also had total failure, didn't do very much, came home, and just tried to keep York out of the picture to make himself the most powerful. So we have a real rivalry between York and Somerset. What happens is, in 1450, um, York decides to return from Ireland, not very happy at the way things are going and the way that all his hard effort in France in the 1440s has yeah. just been completely thrown away. And he comes back, styles himself as the champion of reform and good government, but he's unable to get rid of Somerset. Henry the Sixth really favours him, and what's more, Margaret of Anjou has decided that he's her man as well. Right. right. So there's a real tensions yeah. at the centre of court. Dartford in 1452, York actually marches on London with an army, demanding that Somerset is arrested. Initially, Henry actually agrees, but then once Henry goes back um, and tells everybody about this, he's persuaded by Margaret and Somerset not to do this. (laughs) He would be, I suppose. He would persuade him again. So instead, when York goes into Henry's tent expecting to see Somerset arrested, he himself is arrested. Oh, that
1: sounds like a very bad idea.
0: Very bad, and he is forced to submit and swear his loyalty um, not to attack any of Henry's loyal subjects again, i.e. Somerset. Mm. As you can imagine, however, he's not too happy about this, but in 1453, things take a turn for the worst for the Lancastrians and the royalists. Henry VI suffers a complete mental collapse. Do you do anything? Well, if we recall, Charles VI of France... ...was mentally unstable. Yeah,
1: he was made of glass.
0: He thought he was made of glass. (laughs) Yeah. That was the issue. (laughs) And, of course, his daughter was Catherine of Valois... ...who married Henry V. So Henry VI, on his mother's side... ...is actually the grandson of this mad king of France... ...and he obviously inherited...
1: Oh, poor chap.
0: ...psychological problems. So, completely incapacitated... ...we need another regency council. And in this requires... ...all the major nobles of court... ...basically to come together. And in this circumstance... Margaret of Anjou can't take control as the wife. Somerset is not the uppermost noble. It's Richard, Duke of York. Yeah. So he yeah. is made protector of the realm. Brilliant. Indeed. So first thing he does, slaps Somerset in jail. Sends yeah. him off to the Tower of London. Yeah. Brilliant. He rules pretty well, to be fair to York. He uh, makes an alliance with the powerful Neville family, in particular the Earl of Salisbury and his son, Earl of Warwick, becomes Warwick, the kingmaker. Yeah. So he makes powerful allies, but doesn't otherwise be uh, too undue in terms of his patronage. Mm. But Henry recovers. And in 1455, York is dismissed from his position and Somerset released from prison.
1: What, he just, he just kept him in prison? I suppose he's noble, isn't
0: he? York had kept yeah. him in prison, but Henry VI yeah, releases just, him straight yeah. away. So York now getting to the point where he's thinking, that I'm I'm never going to be able to be in any kind of position while Somerset is there. So he's just got to do something about it. And at the Battle of St Albans, York and the Nevilles confronted the royal forces. Henry refuses to surrender Somerset. So there's a small skirmish in which uh, Somerset and also the Northumberland Percy leaders are killed.
1: Major nobles are killed. Three major nobles.
0: Three major nobles, dukes no less, are killed. And this is often seen as being the first battle in the Wars of the Roses, where we actually have the Lancastrians against the Yorkists, and they fight, and people are killed. Yeah, Now, at this point, it might have been uh, possible for them to have sort of come to an agreement. Henry VI very easily led. York isn't trying to pursue the throne. He just wanted to get rid of Somerset. Job
1: done, and he's lost two friends in the process.
0: Exactly. Fair enough. But Margaret of Anjou is not having any of this. Mm. In uh, 1453, not only did Henry VI have a complete mental collapse, but also Margaret gave birth to their first child, who was a, a son, Edward. So There is now a Prince Edward, an heir to the throne. Mm. Okay. So there's much more at stake for Margaret now. She's the potential mother of the next king. So she basically takes control of the Lancastrian faction at court. Henry VI, very much in the background, not really in control, but Margaret hates York, sees him as a rival to her position and her son's position. She's not willing to make amends with him. So, York tries to have a second protectorate in 1456, but doesn't really work, basically because Henry VI isn't actually incapacitated this time, doesn't have much legitimacy, right. and Margaret forces his removal. And then in 1459 at Ludlow, Margaret raises an army, marches on Ludlow, which is sort of Yorkist stronghold, and routs their forces.
1: Why, it's just out of nowhere,
0: well, because they're sort of building up their troops, she's building up her troops, it's sort of all building towards so it's definitely civil conflict. war I think. really building towards that, and it's a great win for Margaret, so York goes into exile um in Ireland, where he's got his bases, where he was Lord mm. lieutenant, and uh, Warwick and the son of um Richard Duke of York, Edward of March go off to Calais, which is sort of the last English mm. territory in France and a stronghold for warwick
1: this this all um sounds like Henry VI has no real power in the country. If they're in exile but still within English lands, they're just sort of just further away from the heat of the, yeah. of the battle.
0: And Henry VI isn't really directing any of this. Yeah. He's almost just become this figurehead who's been controlled by whoever happens to be in control of him. At yeah, it does to him. Yeah. However, 1460, Warwick and Edward of March come back and at the Battle of Northampton... They rout the Lancastrian forces, and not only do they do that, but they capture Henry VI. Brilliant. So the Yorkists have now got control of the king. Not sure what's going to happen next, but then York, Richard Duke of York, comes back from Ireland. And what he does is makes a bid for the throne. And we've got a quote here from a contemporary, John Withamsteed. He strode up to the throne and put his hand on its cushion, just as though he were a man about to take possession of what was rightfully his. He kept it there for a while, then, withdrawing it, he turned to the people and, standing quietly under the canopy of state, waited expectantly for their applause. Unfortunately, there's a rather stony and awkward silence at this point, (laughs) at which point the Archbishop of Canterbury asks him if he wants to see the King, and rather (laughs) he says yes.
1: (laughs) Yes, please. Oh, drat. <laughs> I bet he rehearsed that a hundred times in his head and that would never happen.
0: <laughs> I'll get me coated, <laughs> But he was basically trying for the Henry IV tactic. He thought he'd announce his claim and everyone support yeah. it. But nobody was expecting deposition at this stage. So he took them all we by surprise. He timed it all. He did. So instead, they agree an act of accord whereby Henry will remain king for the rest of his reign. But York, Richard Duke of York, will be his heir. So Henry VI is, in effect, disinheriting his son, Prince Edward. Yeah. As you can imagine, Margaret of Anjou isn't going to be very happy about that. And she and Prince Edward had actually escaped being captured. So they head off um, north to raise another army. York and Salisbury go off to head them off, try and sort them out before they're able to march back down Mm -hmm. on London. And they leave the safety of uh, Sandal Castle and go out to meet them at Wakefield. But unfortunately for Richard Duke of York, they are vastly outnumbered by Margaret's Lancastrian forces, and it's a complete defeat for the Yorkists.
1: Well, he sounded awesome.
0: Not only is it a defeat, but York and Salisbury and York's second son, Edmund of Rutland, are all killed.
1: Uh, Colours of rainbow business. Isn't Indeed.
0: And then his, um, a paper crown is put on his head, which is then put on a spike on the sort of York walls looking out on the city. Bit of a statement. Bit of a statement, and that is the end of Richard Duke of York. And as you sort of just alluded to there, possible man um, behind the, what do you call it, Richard of York? Oh, gave okay, battle, yeah, the rainbow business. Rainbow business. He's possibly the man because of course he gave battle, but he lost. Yeah. So it's not looking very good for the Yorkist cause at this point. 1461. It starts to get even worse. Start of the year, the second Battle of St Albans. Warwick, who is one of the Yorkist allies, is also defeated doesn't get killed, but Henry VI is recaptured by the Lancastrians. They get him away from the Yorkists and he's restored to the throne.
1: And Warwick's captured.
0: Warwick escapes. Oh, Warwick escapes but Margaret of Anjou now has killed Richard, Duke of York, defeated Earl of Warwick, and she's brought Henry the Sixth back. Mm. Looking very, very good. Mm. However, in Wales, the eldest son of the Duke of York, who presumably now is in effect the Duke of York, Edward of March, has also been raising up an army. He, at the Battle of Mortimer's Cross, defeats Owen and Jasper Tudor, after which uh, Owen is executed, and he's then able to link up with the Earl of Warwick. So we get the, like, the Yorkist troops all together again. So the but, so this this current
1: Yorkist, he didn't lose all his lands when his father died?
0: Well, it's, it's now the stage whereby, as you said, it's pretty much civil war. Yeah, OK. So, was, so it's not a case of inheriting... Estates and whatnot is yeah. rather the two sides are just trying to defeat each other. And I
1: guess the time scales we're talking about are getting shorter and shorter. And this is starting to be. It's a matter of weeks and months. Yeah.
0: So Edward of March is now in effect the figurehead and the leader mm. for the Yorkist faction. However, they're not in a good position. Warwick's forces are depleted, York is dead, and Margaret is much closer to London than they are and with a much larger force. So all she really needs to do is get in London, put Henry back on the throne, and then the Yorkists are really isolated out in the country. Mm. However, Margaret is not able to get into London. She's been using a lot of uh, Scottish troops and some northern troops and the Londoners refuse to open the gates to her because they've started to see the Wars of the Roses as a north versus south conflict.
1: Why south?
0: Because there are a lot of... it's. This is the confusing thing, which I think we got an email about a while ago, actually, in mm. terms of Lancaster against York. It's not really the county of Lancaster against the county of York.
1: Which we should point out, both northern and side by side. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes,
0: very much both northern um, lands, so much as it's the those who are descended from the Duke of Lancaster and those who are descended from the Duke of York. So these major nobles have lands and estates all across the country, right. north and south. So London has a lot of Yorkist sympathies in terms of the Duke of York. Yeah. It's not really geographical in terms of Yorkshire against Lancashire. Yeah. However, Margaret's been using a lot of northern and Scottish troops who have been pillaging uh, Yorkist strongholds, and there's been a lot of Yorkist propaganda about this. So Londoners think if we let her in, she's just going to hell. All hell's going to break loose. Mm-hmm. So they don't let her, and she is forced to go uh, go back north with Henry the Sixth. I love Londoners throughout history. They're so, it's like they're treated
1: as their own separate, like, walled country. Yeah. And they always hate queens. Yeah. like <laughs> throwing mud at Eleanor and stuff. Yeah. They just don't know we're not letting you in. And they, they actually hold a lot of power, don't it they? It
0: completely changes everything, because instead, Edward um, of March marches into London. Very popular. He's 19-year-old, incredibly glamorous and good-looking, quite popular. And he is crowned Edward Fourth. He's, he is he's actually crowned as King Edward the Fourth. So, whereas before with um, Richard Duke of York, there was always this sense of um, hesitancy because they thought we can't, we don't want to go that far because you know we don't want to fight the king. <laughs> his
1: hand on the is the seat. <laughs> is brilliant, yeah.
0: But now Henry the Sixth, the scene has having yeah, left did. London. He's not. He's given up his claim. Edward the Fourth comes in. We've got two kings fighting for each other. He doesn't put his, his hand, hand on the, the seat. Him. He sits on the throne. He puts a crown on his head. Job done. So it's clear now that there's going to needs to be a big battle, and it's going to decide what happens next. It's Mm -hmm. going to decide who is going to be king, and that happens at the Battle of Towton. Major battle of the period in blizzard conditions, even though it's March or April. uh, Very brutal, very bloody, and long battle, but it results in a Yorkist victory.
1: I don't know why I'm rooting for them.
0: Lancastrians are routed. Henry VI, Margaret, Edward the Goth into exile, and Edward IV is king.
1: I get the feeling that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. (laughs)
0: 1461-65, to um, Henry Margaret and Prince Edward are in exile to the Welsh-Scottish borders. Um, Lancastrian rebellions in northern England are put down pretty easily, such as Hexham. But, 1465, Henry VI gets captured and sent to the Tower of London.
1: Looking more and more final.
0: Looking more and more final. Unfortunately, Warwick, the Kingmaker shows us why he is known as Warwick the Kingmaker. He's a classic overmighty subject and he seeks to control Edward the Fourth and thinks that his way should be the only way. They really fall out, um, in this period, particularly when Edward secretly marries Elizabeth Woodville whilst Warwick is negotiating a marriage treaty with a French princess. He really mm. He doesn't like the fact that he's gone behind his back like this, and that this means that Warwick is now not obviously as powerful as he thought he was. He arrests Edward the Fourth at one stage.
1: he has the power to do that
0: well, he doesn't really because he gets no support because before when he deposed Henry the Sixth, it was with another king. Yeah now there's no royal authority other than Henry the Sixth in rivalry, so he's forced to release Edward, and they're sort of rather awkward and sort of. <laughs> prowling around each other deciding you're what's m- going to happen.
1: It's like releasing a tiger yeah. in
0: the wild and just hoping it doesn't turn around and eat you. Go on, yeah. out
1: you go. Out the door, you're free. <laughs>
0: Particularly after you sort of hit it on the head and put it in the cage Yeah, in the first yeah. Place. That wasn't me. Louis IX is a French king mm. now. He's placed the VII and he throws his hat into the fray at this point by engineering an alliance between Warwick and Margaret of Anjou. Oh, now, complete enemies yeah. these two have been, but they've got a common cause in thinking, well, we're only going to be restored to our old power if we get rid of Edward IV and put a puppet king, Henry VI, back on the throne. So Warwick's throwing in his lot with Henry VI now. Oh. Warwick is completely turned tail, is now with the Lancastrians. As we said, follow the who's who, if this starts to get confusing. And at the Battle of Barnet, um, sorry, I've skipped ahead there, Edward is forced into exile by Warwick, Hmm. So he goes off to France, in particular to Burgundy. And in 1470, Henry VI is released from prison, rather confused about what's going on, (laughs) and made king again. (laughs) Unfortunately, as the price for the alliance, um, Louis IX was still um, enemies with the Burgundians, who had made peace at the start of the reign, but they're now at loggerheads again. The Burgundians didn't really fancy helping Edward the force, because they thought we don't want to get involved in this English dispute yeah, now. But Warwick declares war on the Burgundians. Because he was they were holding yeah, okay right. Yeah. Because yeah. of the alliance of Louis the yeah. Ninth. But what this does is brings the Burgundians back into the conflict and they give money and troops to Edward the Fourth. And he is able the next year in fourteen seventy one to come back to England and then he defeats and kills Warwick at the Battle of Barnet. Good.
1: He was he was troublemaker. A he was. kingmaker troublemaker.
0: Indeed. Then at the Battle of Tewkesbury, we see the final defeat of the Lancastrians. Total win for the Yorkists, and Prince Edward, the only son and heir of Henry VI, is killed.
1: Prince Edward is killed?
0: Prince Edward, son of Henry VI, is killed.
1: And who... So who's, who's, who's the king now? It,
0: so the king now, Edward IV, is back in town. Edward IV.
1: Sorry, yes, I was confused here.
0: Back in town... And 1471, with Henry VI back in the Tower of London, Edward decides, put this to bed once and for all.
1: Yeah, he's got to go. Henry
0: VI dies of grief, in inverted commas. (laughs) That's how you call it. Almost certainly murdered on the orders Mm. of Edward IV. And he dies aged 49. So that is it. Henry VI has died. His only son, Prince Edward, has been killed. All of the Lancastrian powers have also gone. Edward IV, the Yorkist, is king.
1: That was a roller coaster, going.
0: It was a roller coaster, and it's a very long biographical section, but there's it, well, a lot that yeah, happens there. we could
1: just wash over that.
0: Big, big stuff. But that is it. That's the end wow. of Henry the VI. It's the end for now of the Wars of the mm. Roses. And it's time for us to review what was a largely absent king throughout I that you seem dramatic to be very period. Very often, but let's see how he does in our first category. battleliness. So, it's uh, quite a turbulent period in terms of battleliness. In fact, probably more battles in this one period than we've had in any of the previous put together.
1: Yeah, not really on his, a case for him, though, is it? It's just... I mean, we were saying earlier that it, it, we haven't really been talking about him so much as just stuff that's done to him around
0: it, him. Indeed, I mean, classically at the start of his reign when he's um, still young... Minor, of course we had Joan of Arc, mm. who not we shouldn't spend a lot of time on her because it's not really when he's in control of events yeah. and it's a French woman, but nevertheless, this is a period where France is at its lowest ebb, England really close to victory. She's just a peasant girl mm. and she's able to inspire the troops. Apparently she got wounded at the Siege of Orleans, arrow in her shoulder, which apparently she pulled out and then went off back into the fray.
1: Lower pain threshold, though, Girl.
0: Well, indeed, Jago, um, also she was wounded when apparently a projectile crashed against her helmet and broke oh, while she was besieging it, but carried on. When she was captured, she made several escape attempts, including a 70-foot leap into a dry moat.
1: Jeepers. Mm. That's, that's
0: cool. And she's quite a clever girl as well. It's, um, at her trial, where they were trying for being a heretic, she was asked if she was in God's grace. Which was a trick question because whatever she said, yes or no, she was guilty. If she said yes, it was a heresy because no one could know Mm. that they were in God's grace. If she said no, that meant everything she'd said before was nonsense. Her answer was, if I'm not, may God put me there. And if I am, may God so keep me. Very clever though. (laughs) They they can't think of a way around that. (laughs) But they still burn him as a heretic. So she's very (laughs) impressive but... From a battle in this perspective, without being sexist, would Henry V have lost to a girl? <laughs>
1: oh, that's a that's a pub argument if ever I've heard on. <laughs> yes, <it> um, is.
0: <laughs> and I think
1: the answer is no on yeah. this, and I think Henry VI definitely would. And, yeah. And did indeed
0: when he does become of age uh, in his majority, Henry really abhors war. Henry VI he pursues peace. He surrenders Maine and Anjou. York, the Richard Duke of York, when he was Lord Lieutenant of France, he was denied financial support and denied troops whilst the favour at Suffolk and Somerset were given lots more support for oversaw defeats in Gascony and Normandy. So he's backing the wrong English horses. Yeah, it's hopeless, Graham.
1: I, I can't see, I mean, I can't see anything other than yeah. these defeats.
0: And this is the end of the Hundred Years' War. After all that Henry V achieved, it's all gone. Yeah. All we've got left is Calais.
1: And, and what's d- that? I've been there.
0: And Alison Weir has argued that the defeat in France may even have been a major cause of the Wars of the Roses.
1: That, I can go along with that, because if, yeah, if he was at least winning abroad, people say, yeah.
0: yeah. However, it's not until 1801, George III, that England actually drops its pretense to the French throne. Really? They're all still claiming to be King or Queen of France.
1: Wow.
0: Wars of the Roses, of course, is the major period, a major event in terms of battling us, and this is... Where we have to judge Henry VI. He's dethroned twice, 1461 and 1471, the only king to have managed that. Captured three times, 1460, 1465, and 1471. And what's more, he actually loses two kingdoms, the English kingdom and the French kingdom.
1: It's, it's peaks and troughs, Graham.
0: All in less than 20 years.
1: But because, I mean, he's a record holder for, uh, on so many levels. All those things you just mentioned, yeah, he was the only king of England and France. he was technically I mean, I'm not here. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> going to give him any points for that because he lost the most to lose them both more than once. Mm. Um, but still, I mean, what a, what a coaster, as he, you said.
0: He's the absolute antithesis of a medieval martial king, basically, he has no interest in military glory, and in fact, his, his uh, contemporaries, the magnates, were shocked. After Henry V, this is the son of Henry V. Mm. I can't believe how yeah. little interest he had. Well, held. he didn't
1: grow up with him, did he? I suppose as well. I get the impression you—you you, um, you said he didn't have any interest. That when he was told, uh, "Oh, you're no longer king now," you go, "Oh well, <laughs> you're a king now." Am I? Oh, brilliant!
0: <laughs> He's the first monarch since 1066 not to lead an English army against a foreign foe. And the Wars of the Roses. Apparently, he always remained basically by the standard in armor, but he never actually. No. ventured anywhere near the battle and he just waited for the outcome. Apparently, the first Battle of St Albans, his only contribution was to sit in his armour in his pavilion and pray. And then, when things got bad, he still got wounded in the neck by an arrow and then went to hide in a cottage. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is he, a puppet king from the start, not Indeed, and others lead. From 1455, Margaret of Anjou is really leading the course and she was the one raising and inspiring the armies. In 1470, he's the puppet of Warwick the Kingmaker, and apparently he was said to have been as mute as a crowned calf mm. when restored to the throne. And I've nothing really that I can say positive about no, his I've, record uh, and battling us.
1: Um, have we given anyone a big fat
0: zero yet? We have given someone a big fat zero, a couple of people. People who, to be fair to them, just had no. Actually, Ethelred the Unready got a zero. Mm was able to fight the Vikings. I mean, personally I think it's got to be a zero. There's has, literally I mean, not one positive bullet point. No, Ethered would have given her a go. <laughs> yes. Even if it was a rubbish go. Mm. So that is zero for battling for Henry the Sixth. Very bad start. Yeah, scandal I'm afraid it's not gonna get any better when we come to scandal. Because really there there is no scandal for Henry the Sixth on a personal level. Um, He did his best, basically, to prevent scandal. Um, Contemporary John Blackman said he was a simple man without any craftiness or untruth, as is plain to all. With none did he deal craftily, nor ever would say an untrue word to any, but framed his speech always to speak the truth.
1: Well, that's not what you want, really.
0: It's not good for scandal. A papal envoy, 1437, Piero Lamont, um, on Henry VI's relationship with women... Said Henry avoided the sight and conversation of women, affirming of women affirming these to be the work of the devil. And he also used to like to say, Henry, he who casts his eye on a woman so as to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart.
1: Wow,
0: got some strong views there. He is something of a prude. Yeah, no scandal at all. Apparently, he stormed off in a huff on the one Christmas at a party when a certain great lord brought before him a dance or show of young ladies with bare bosoms. <laughs> to which apparently Henry stormed off going Fee, fee, shame, shame uh,
1: Very upset about it lustily thinking
0: He admonished um, some of his scholars for visiting his court Apparently bidding them not to do so again Lest his young lamb should come to relish the corrupt deeds and habits of his courtiers
1: What? He didn't want his teachers
0: He didn't want his, uh, his didn't scholars, want scholars at um, to come over because he thought they'd be corrupted crikey by the naughty courtiers. John Blackman again said, at another time, riding by bath, looking into the baths, um, saw in them men, wholly naked, at which he was displeased, and went away quickly, abhorring such nudity as a great offence.
1: This guy's got nothing.
0: Before he was married, being as a youth a pupil of chastity, he would keep careful watch through hidden windows of his chamber, lest any foolish impertinence of woman coming into the house grow to a head and cause the downfall of any of his household. So he even feared that people in his household, might be corrupted by women. He was against any scandal, any sexiness, any anything. But he, he had a it. kid. But he had a kid, which apparently surprised him, and made him one of the causes <laughs> oh, for which I? I he went wrong. into his mental collapse. He <laughs> <laughs> even wore boring clothes, apparently, round-toed shoes and boots like a farmer's, a long gown with a rolled hood like a townsman, rejecting expressly all fashion of clothing.
1: What did he do?
0: He's a boring, boring king. <laughs> yeah. There's he no scandal. Nothing,
1: everything's so much fun going on around him. A really active period of history. And he's, he's doing his best to prevent scandal. He's got his head down. He's Switzerland.
0: <laughs> the Switzerland of the English monarchy. I think it's got to be another there's zero for scandal. a massive
1: zero. I, can't, I mean, there's nothing.
0: I mean, it should be a negative, to be honest. Yeah, he's done yeah. his best to avoid it at all costs.
1: Subjectivity.
0: Well... There's a lot of bad here as well. Would you have been wanted to have been ruled by this king? Oh, certainly,
1: certainly not, now or then.
0: <laughs> we shouldn't attack him too much for having um, mental health problems, but for the kingdom, it is disastrous. Besides the mental health stuff, he actually was seen as being quite simple even before the his collapse. After eating his majority, he was seen as being quite childlike, quite in awe of everything going on around him and quite confused and easily Mm. led. The nobles were still minutely involved in all the aspects of government, which they would not have expected to have been. It was almost like he was still in his minority. Mm. And as we've seen, basically, he was just controlled by those around him. He's never really taking any control.
1: I do feel sorry for him, though, because he he didn't have any... A lot of the good kings have been brought up um, by bad kings, so they can see their example. This guy... Has from eight months old been brought up by like a council showing mm. him how to lead. So, that, all that's going to show him how, what to do is to listen to others, and that's all he does. Mm. Hopeless.
0: Indeed. There's poor governance in this period. In terms of finance, from 1445 to 49, there were huge taxes raised um, for the wars in France, which were given to his favourite Suffolk mm. and Somerset, but administrative incompetence and military failure saw all of this money being wasted. 1449, the Calais garrison apparently was owed £20,000, and York himself, who was having to pay out of his own pocket whilst the favourites were being sponsored, was owed almost £40,000 by the crown. Of course. Indeed. 1451, the Feast of Epiphany, apparently Henry was informed that there was no dinner because there was no money to pay for it. (laughs) Wowie. Not in a good state. Neither is law and order. Apparently lots of soldiers coming back from France, as is always the case, unable to find work once they get back to England. Not very well supported, so they turn to crime. Of course, we also had the Cade Rebellion, which complained of the breakdown of law and order and in itself demonstrated it. And uh, Henry's authority clearly very limited. We see central authority really... um, Damaged, localised conflicts, particularly the Percy's and the Nevilles in the north of England, getting very violent and building towards civil war all over the country.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is just one long period of civil war, which, I mean, you can never score above three, really. With that. No, you never
0: want that. And, of course, he relies upon favourites. As you said, he is dominated by political factions and is easily led, patronises men of dubious qualities and sidelines the major nobles such as Gloucester and York both of whom were technically heirs to the throne at the time that they were being sidelined and ignored, mm. which isn't good going. Meanwhile, Suffolk and Somerset give him poor advice. They have disasters in France, bring about the enmity of Richard, Duke of York, and they don't ultimately do very well for him at all.
1: It's it's awful. Have you got, have you got any good stuff?
0: I might get there, but there's still <laughs> more bad to go through first. <laughs> really? We also have, infamously, the role of Margaret von Ju. Um, From 1450s, especially after the birth of Prince Edward, as we said, she's pretty much leading the Lancastrian course in absence of Henry VI showing any lead himself. And in particular, she's the one who really pushes York into outright opposition. Quite controversial for the Queen to so publicly favour one faction and indeed oppose a major noble in York. After 1455, as we said, we could have had reconciliation, but she's the one who really refuses Mm -hmm. to come to terms with York. And her use of northern troops and the permission to loot and pillage York's strongholds helped loosen the sport of Londoners and helped Edward IV thus come to the throne. However, in her defence, she was filling in because of the inadequacy of Henry VI. He was so unable to prove, um, to give a lead, disinherited his own son mm. that Margaret of Anjou is forced to take his place. And to be fair to her, she actually d- does very well. Yeah, I mean, she'd, she'd
1: definitely score better than Henry VI. She
0: would. She defeats York... Temporarily defeats Edward the Fourth. You know she puts up a good fight.
1: But oh, we can't judge. I mean, if if this was if he'd um, if he'd given the country over to her while he was off I don't know, crusading, whatever, I mean, I'd count this as some of his um, some points for him. But it's, it's just because he's hopeless. It's yeah. not. This isn't his doing.
0: And ultimately, we have twenty years of intermittent civil war, deaths and executions of major nobles of the realm. We've got York, Suffolk, Somerset, Prince Edward, Henry the Sixth himself. Lots of battles, two in St. Albans, Ludlow, Northampton, Wakefield, Mortimer's Cross, Towton, Barnet, Tewkesbury. Loads yeah. of battles going on. And Crowland Chronicles records what a turbulent time this was. Say the slaughter of men was immense, for besides the dukes, earls, barons, and distinguished warriors who were cruelly slain, multitudes, almost innumerable, of the common people died of their wounds. Such was the state of the kingdom for nearly ten years.
1: If that, that one quote there. Mm-hmm. Isn't a zero?
0: <laughs> I don't know what is. That's terrible. And of course we also have the Battle of Towton, as alluded to a really horrible battle to which it said, The blood of the slain mingling with the snow, which at this time covered the whole surface of the earth, afterwards ran down in the furrows and ditches along with the melted snow, in a most shocking manner for a distance of two or three miles. Wow. It's almost rivers of blood. Wow. And massive graves. Oh, yeah. Mass graves. It's all... A little That's bit unpleasant. Bad. As you said, no leadership from Henry the Sixth, which is so bad because he so easily, potentially, could have stopped it all. Mm. Sometimes his presence on the battlefield was enough to stop the Yorkist army actually going into battle. And they called off. Just such was the aura of a king.
1: Yeah, because they were, they were, he just was so absent that, I mean, it might show that they were fighting against a king, but, mm. I mean, he was hiding in a cottage.
0: He was, and he was suspicious of all forms of regality on feast days when he had to wear his crown. Apparently he wore a hair shirt next to his skin so that he wouldn't actually enjoy the process. they would be really itchy, covered in hairs. Mm. Um, and he had a little interest in being king. Apparently he commented on his ministers. They do so interrupt me that by day or night I can hardly snatch a moment to be refreshed without disturbance. I sigh, we have important business of the nation that you need to attend to. Oh.
1: This...
0: <laughs> He, poor, he just didn't want the job, did he, he? 1470, apparently, when he was restored, he showed little enthusiasm for the crown, of which he took no great rejoice, a man amazed and utterly dulled with troubles and adversity.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm going to try now and uh, stick up for him on subjectivity. Try to find some positives. First of all, let's limit the negatives. John Gillingham has argued that the carnage of the Wars of the Roses has actually been greatly exaggerated and that the nobles were really just fighting a propaganda war. So the Yorkists were always going to say, oh, they've been massacring our troops everywhere, they've been looting and pillaging, oh, they're so awful, because they want to get people on site. Yeah. So it's been exaggerated. It's not as bad as it was. And indeed, a contemporary, Philip de Comines said, It is a custom in England that the victors in battle kill nobody, especially none of the ordinary soldiers, because everyone wants to please them. In other words, they're not actually killing lots of common soldiers. They want to get them to support their cause. Mm. So the nobles have been killed, but not so much the ordinary folk. Right. And arguably it's Shakespearean and Tudor propaganda where they exaggerate the chaos and the bloodshed of these years to emphasise the order that is brought when the Tudors come to power right, years yeah, later. Yeah. So maybe it wasn't quite as bad as all that. Mm. Oh, well, it still happened. It still happened. It's still pretty bad. Yeah. In fairness to him, it's not easy being king when you don't want to be king, you're a bit rubbish anyway, when you've got lots of enemies who are out to get you. My best essay I ever wrote at university was about Richard Duke of York, and it was titled, How Far Was Richard Duke of York Motivated by Self-Interest? Well, uh, you can see it a number of ways, obviously, (laughs) sit on the fence at all times and show all sides of the argument. Some see him as a power-hungry megalomaniac who was always out for the throne, others that he was the wrong man who was basically pushed into conflict by particularly Margaret of Anjou. They were taking his lands, taking his money, keeping him out of court, he was almost forced to come into conflict.
1: More points against him.
0: Of course, we have Warwick, who's this classic overmighty subject whose main motivation is to enhance his own position in his family. Courageous soldier, expert propagandist, but dubbed the Kingmaker because he's turning sides, causing chaos for yeah, everybody. The it's Ancoat. Even Edward IV gets pushed away by him yeah. at one stage. So it's a difficult period in terms of some of the characters that are around. But let's think of positives now. Positives are Henry VI. He did some good things, he pursues peace. Now, although it's rubbish for battliness, actually, maybe it's not such a bad thing that he didn't like the idea of war. And 1458, he did try to restore some order in England. He tried to bring the warring factions to peace, and he arranged a love day. (laughs) And what happened was, all the major nobles marched behind him into St Paul's Cathedral, hand in hand with their equivalent rival. So you have Warwick hand in hand with one of the Percy family, you have Richard, Duke of York, hand in hand with Margaret of Anjou. Really? And this procession in public into support's cathedral. Mean, right,
1: OK. So, he may have pursued peace, <laughs> but he failed spectacularly. And not only that, his one... The, the example we've got is this love day, which is the equivalent of a primary school teacher saying, now shake hands and make up, and that's it. There wasn't... A, I mean... If anything, what it
0: did was to emphasise that two sides actually exist.
1: Yeah, and saying (laughs) that... Publicly. If you you weren't aware of it, this guy and this guy, he's your enemy on the same level. Unbelievable.
0: Not a great record there. No. Better record is an education. This is one of Henry's chief passions. He wanted to spread literacy among his subjects, set up lots of grammar schools for newly prosperous middle classes and also some boys of poorer stock. And most notably, he founded Eton and King's College, Cambridge.
1: He founded both of those? Both
0: of them, at great expense, including on their architecture. And each year on the anniversary of death, the provosts of both of those uh, establishments lay white lilies and roses, which are the floral emblems of their colleges, on the spot where he was said to have been killed.
1: Where was he said to be killed then?
0: In the Tower of London. I did not know about that little tradition. Eton and King's College Cambridge, not That's, a bad legacy. No,
1: that is jolly good legacy. Well, King's College Cambridge. Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and he's quite a moral, decent man. At the heart of it. We're pushing them about and saying nasty things about him. But everyone else is going around killing and fighting. He's trying to be nice. He abhorred all forms of bloodshed. Apparently he intervened frequently to spare the lives of criminals and traitors. He didn't like people Mm. being killed on his account. Apparently once riding through um, a place called Cripplegate. He uh, noticed the part of a quartered body of a traitor on a stake... To which he said, take it away, I won't have any Christian so cruelly handled for my sake.
1: He sounds like a nice guy. And
0: his yeah. one act, when he became king again briefly, 1470-71, the one independent act that he took as king was apparently Edward IV that had to go off into exile and he'd had to leave his wife, Elizabeth of Wood- Woodville, in England. And she was heavily pregnant at the time, went into sanctuary at Westminster Abbey. Henry VI's one act as king is to send her food and clothing.
1: Yeah, I mean, he sounds like a lovely bloke, but zero. <laughs>
0: I'm afraid it does have to be zero because ultimately subjectivity is: would you want to be a subject to this king?
1: Yeah, absolutely not, unless you actually happened to meet him once at Cripplegate. Yeah, and he was feeling benevolent, indeed. Rubbish.
0: Otherwise, he shows no lead. It falls into civil war, mm. and despite his weaknesses, he keeps being put back by impressive people. Mm. But he's just got nothing. At all.
1: He's not a king. He's a pawn in a game. He's a pawn, masquerading as a king.
0: That's another zero for Henry VI, which means he's got a total of zero thus far. But, maybe things will get better now.
1: Longevity. He rules from
0: 1422 to 1461.
1: Oh, that's really good. And,
0: 1470 to 1471. Oh no, that's really annoying. So in total, he rules for 40 years. Really? That's annoying. I thought he was going to get some hopeless. Despite everything, he gets a 40 for longevity. That's better than some of those Saxons, then. That's a very high score. It's one of the best we've had.
1: That's so
0: annoying. (laughs) If this was
1: that game that sounds like Bop Bumps, you'd have to play that card. Oh, yes, you would. (laughs) I'm going for a Scandal Zero.
0: (laughs) And he's got one more. Let's see how he does there.
1: Dynasty, not the program.
0: He has one son, Prince Edward, but he's killed at the Battle of Tewkesbury. So, in fact, he has yes, zero surviving children. So that is a total of forty. His only points. This <laughs> is that he stayed alive, stayed alive he for would have quite been, a long time.
1: He would have done as well at this at this game if he had just sort of stayed for his entire reign in a flotation tank and never said a word. Yes. He'd have scored exactly the same
0: point. I'd have scored slightly better. Yeah, well, maybe. Anyway, that is it for our um, various factors for Henry VI. So we now come to our final decision. Does he have the mark of greatness, the legacy, the star quality, which earns him the... Rex Factor! Can we just... just no. Well, just, you know, let's think hard about <laughs> this one, you know. <laughs> Unbelievable.
1: This guy is—I mean, he at least he's setting a record after death here as well. Maybe yes. found this, and the fact that he scored a zero in all categories apart from the fact that he stayed alive. Yes. And then in life, he's made all these records. That you know, that sounds like a good thing, but he was just hopeless.
0: King John is often said to have been the worst king of England. But I mean, uh, and all oh, Ethelred the Unready. But this is pretty. This is, this is really challenging. Really
1: bad. I mean, Edward. Uh, where is it, John? Yeah, John wasn't, I think John wasn't too bad. We were just disappointed that he wasn't as bad as he was. Yes. Yeah.
0: So it's yes or no. No way. And it's a no for me as well. That's a big no to Henry the Sixth. A failure on so many levels.
1: Oh, crikey Moses. I really hope his successor does better.
0: Let's move on then to consider where we now are in terms of all the different families. We've had a lot of upheaval in this period. So yeah. how are things going in... Family fortunes. Well, the Lancastrians were... The royalists, but Henry VI has died. His only son, Prince Edward, has died. So that line from John of Gaunt started with Henry Henry fourth, Henry V, Henry the sixth. It's now ended. Job done. No more after no. that, Lancastrians. Gone. The main line is gone. Instead, the Yorkists have come to the fore. Richard, Duke of York, is killed, but his eldest son becomes Edward IV. And Edward also has two brothers, George, Duke of Clarence, and Richard, Duke of Gloucester. And also, Edward also has numerous children, so suddenly the Yorkers now on the yeah, throne, yeah lots of power. The Nevilles doesn't go so well for them. Salisbury was killed whilst in league with the Duke of York, and then Warwick was killed after mm-hmm. opposing Edward the Fourth, and they both die without leaving significant male issue, right. so the male line of the Neville family is gone now, so it's really the women who are continuing to be prominent. Mm -hmm. So we have Cecily Neville, who is married to Richard, Duke of York, and so is the mother of Edward IV. And we also have Isabel and Anne Neville, who are married to the brothers of Edward IV. So the family is still kind of prominent within the Yorkists, but not in terms of major male. Yeah, there's no
1: real claim coming on the horizon there, is there?
0: No. It's also gone very badly for the Beauforts. These were the sort of pseudo-Lancastrians, who were very much in league with Henry VI. Sixth. John Beaufort, the first Duke of Somerset, died after the 1440s French failures. Edmund Beaufort, the second Duke of Somer- Somerset, the one who was in opposition to Richard Duke of York, yeah. he is killed at St Albans in 1455. Henry Beaufort, the third Duke, killed in, executed in 1464 after the Battle of Hexham. And Edmund Beaufort, the fourth Duke, killed at Tewkesbury in 1471. The male line of the Beaufort family is ended.
1: God, they said the Yorkists are looking really strong.
0: Absolutely. However, there is one other family that they've still got to contend with, and that is the Tudors. Excellent. Firmly on the scene now are the Tudors. Of course, we remember Owen Tudor, this lowly Welsh squire who married the widow of Henry V. Yeah. He was executed after the Battle of Mortimer's Cross. Apparently he was very surprised about this. He thought, and this was fighting Edward IV, right. as he was about to become... He thought he was going to be let off, but then he realised he was going to be executed when they removed his collar and his doublet. Apparently he said the head which used to lie in Queen Catherine's lap would now lie in the executioner's basket. It's sad. sad. But his sons, Jasper and Edmund Tudor, also fight for the Lancastrians and are powerful nobles. Edmund Tudor marries Lady Margaret Beaufort. So the Beaufort family are not completely removed from its significance because they marry... She becomes pregnant very soon after they marry, which, at the age of 12, is rather young. Oh, crumbs. Apparently the canonical age of consent.
1: <laughs> right.
0: For the time, but she's only a young girl. And whilst pregnant, Edmund Tudor gets captured and dies of the plague at Carmarthen Castle. So she goes into the care of Jasper Tudor and you know, is a widow at the age of 12 <laughs> in hiding, but she gives birth to her one and only son, which is Henry Tudor.
1: Ah! Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I like the way they started to give them more English names to make them more
0: acceptable in the English court. We've gone from Owen
1: to Jasper and Edmund, <laughs> now Henry. Henry.
0: So, Henry Tudor is the last Lancastrian, really, with any kind of claim to the throne. He goes off into exile with Jasper in Brittany, but he is not someone to forget about. He's very yeah. much a peripheral but important... Act. So we've
1: got very strong Yorkists, but who's this fellow in Brittany, Henry Tudor? Exactly. Okay. But Edward
0: the Fourth is King. And that is it now then for Henry the Sixth. We've reviewed him. He didn't get the Rex Factor.
1: No, he's hopeless.
0: And the Wars of the Roses seemingly over.
1: Till next time.
0: Until next time when we'll be reviewing Edward the Fourth. Cheerio. Goodbye.